Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. Get ready for Mind Shock with Dr. Ron Dalrymple, the premier podcast in the world bringing you hidden truths about your mind's incredible powers. Get ready to free your mind. Everybody, welcome to Mind Shock with Dr. Ron Dalrymple, the show that will take you to the outer limits of your mind and to the inner limits, the true final frontier. Our theme for this show is Evolution of the Supermind. I began working at NASA at 17 years old, where we put people in space. This is way back in antiquity, folks, which we call the final frontier. But at 19 years old at NASA, I discovered that the mind is an energy field that transcends the physical brain, then the true final frontier is inner space, the exploration of the true powers of mind. So our mission on this show is to take you to the true outer limits of inner space. Think about that, the outer limits of inner space. Our motto for this show is super mind, super body, and super spirit. In today's chaotic world, there's a revolution sweeping the globe about who we are and what we are doing here. A mind revolution is changing everything. Whole new theories of mind that turn old science on its head. Old science is three-dimensional, or make it four with time, and limited to the physical senses where many people reside, many scientists live in that three- or four-dimensional world. We're developing a new model of science that considers N dimensions, as N approaches infinity. Today we have a great guest, Sabine Gideon and her book, Transform. Sabine, how are you doing? Hi, Dr. Ron. I am doing well, thank you. Well, thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. I read your book, liked it a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me on the show. Now, of course, I think it takes a lot of courage to write a book like that about your own personal experiences. Of course, you get into a lot of personal details about uh, things you went through in life and so forth. and. Perhaps we can start by having you tell the audience about your background and how this whole thing started, which led to you going through your transformation later and eventually writing this book. Yeah, great. Well, I mean, I could start back in that sunny day in 1982, uh, but I'll fast forward a little bit more. Um, Thank you for that introduction. So, yes, uh, Transform the Journey to Becoming is, you know, sort of, well, it is my first book, and it is a book about my life and the series of transformations um, that I had experienced up until the point of writing the book. And so... Many of the details, uh, especially in the beginning parts of it, I, I really start with my pivotal or, I don't know, transformational moment um, back in 2007-ish, uh, around the time where I had grown so depressed and um, lost. I found myself in a place where, you know, I wanted to, to take my life and just end it all. And in a moment of, I guess, desperation, I guess now as I I look back, um, while I had a plan in place and I was um, 100% committed to my plan, uh, the night before I decided to actually take my life, I I had a conversation with God. Um, And it was, you know, the moment of me just (laughs) giving him a heads up, if you will, um, prior to that, you know, I had grown up in um, in Catholic church and, you know, had some, I guess, some understanding or some level of belief, uh, but not total belief because here I was at the lowest place in my life and I didn't really believe God exists. I didn't believe that I had a reason to live and I didn't believe anyone loved me. And so in my, um, in my attempt, to get out all of my emotions and all of the negativity that I had been carrying, 
um, my ask of God uh, during that conversation was, well, two asks. One, show me that he's real. And two, uh, reveal to me what my purpose is. Um, because at that point, I was so desperate or I was so depleted. Um, the thing that I needed was just one reason, one glimmer of hope as to why I should remain on this earth. And I had a supernatural experience, as, as some would call it, where I literally experienced or felt the arms of God wrap himself around me, um, went to bed, obviously, or didn't even go to bed. I stayed on the floor, uh, bawled my eyes out until I fell asleep, and the next day I woke up with this um, renewed um, renewed purpose or renewed desire to discover what my purpose is, renewed desire to live and to, you know, explore life a little bit more. Right. Well, let, let, let me back to a second. I think it's really a fascinating thing when people have that kind of transcendental experience. Can you tell you guys more about the details? Not it's really hard to describe. A lot of folks all over the world have had those kinds of experiences beyond the normal. They either deal with God or with Christ or with angels or whatever the uh, higher being might be. Can you tell people more details of what that was like? Yeah, so I remember just being on the floor, I was crying out, you know, all of the things, right? Like, you let this happen and you let this happen and just uh, releasing all of all of my anger, all of my pain. And I just got to a point of just like, hey, I would I would be okay with, um, you know, continuing down this path of, I guess, a life of suffering if I knew that there was a purpose to it. And I guess the, the best way to describe the actual physical feeling of it is it was a feeling of warmth, and it was just an abundance of love. I mean, I know those aren't, like, uh, tangible things uh, for people to uh, conceive of what that, like, looked and felt like, but that's literally it. It was just like, and for me, it was this inner knowing that, yes, he was responding. Because literally, as, as you would hold a person, you know, I felt like a child being held um, by a parent and just, like, <laughs> melted and just sobbed in that moment. Mm -hmm. So it was more an inner knowing that was the higher power contacting you and wrapping his arms around you to give you comfort. You felt a supreme feeling of love. Plus, on a conscious level, you were thinking this is supreme being contacting you. Yeah, yeah. And before that moment, I'd never, I'd never experienced anything like that, or never even mm -hmm. been around anyone. Like it was just, it was, <laughs> it was definitely. I wouldn't even right. say weird, but it was definitely a moment where I, it was undeniable what was happening, at least for me. Sure. Well, you're not alone because many folks talk about having like out-of-body experiences, like during surgery, for example. Many folks have. I knew of one surgeon, for example, who was undergoing surgery by two of his friends, two other surgeons, and they walked down the hall at one point, 50 feet away to a different consultation room entirely from the OR, and talked about him and the situation. And after the next day after surgery, he told them exactly what they said word for word. He said he was right there oh, wow. with them like an out-of-body experience. So there are many fascinating things, and people often describe that as being a situation of supreme love where you feel incredible power and light all around you and coming to you from a higher source. So you're not alone. Yeah. 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 So, so what happened then? So you had this, this revelation, this great insight. So what happened next? Yeah, and so the next morning I peeled myself off the floor um, with this determination of, okay, well, I, apparently I have a purpose, right, because that was confirmed, and God is real. So for me in my mind, my logical mind was, okay, then I have to know who who this God is. And, again, you know, just based on my upbringing, my, the natural thing that I turned to was the Bible. I wanted to understand who God was, his word, what he promised. Um, you know, to me, again, Christ. Christ was a big part of it, and uh, he was said to be God in man um, in man form. So I just wanted to know. So I just started consuming uh, the Bible, believe it or not. It's not an easy read, for sure, um, but I was searching. I was searching for um, evidence of who I was. I was searching for evidence of, you know, what was real and what wasn't real or answers to why I had endured so much. Uh, leading up until that point. 
And so obviously, you know, this has been a journey of, of years now, um, you know, walking with God, building that relationship, and really getting clear on what I, what identity is and what purpose is and, you know, taking all the labels to just get to the place where you're just like, oh, it's about just being who you are. Um, so that's been the journey up until this point. But during that process, during from the time of the suicidal attempt to where I am today, there's been there was a process of healing or there was a journey uh, that included my healing from all of the stuff that had took, taken place that led me to that you know that dark place to begin with. Right. I know it's tough to talk about those kinds of mm-hmm. things, but whatever you can share with the audience, I mean, whatever you know, in generalities, whatever, and don't get too many details, obviously, whatever you can share so they'll understand about the, the terrible nightmare you went through. Because you described in your book very, very vividly. I think you did a great job of that. I'm sure if you all yeah. what some of those experiences were, just, you know, where do you, whatever you feel comfortable with. Oh, yeah, happy to, happy to. So as I, probably about, I don't know, two or three years into this journey of healing, if you will, I found myself at a place of, of getting real depressed, like a series of things had happened um, in my life at, at work and in my personal life, and I found myself, like, falling back into the place that I was. And at that time, I remember uh, reaching out to the um, EAP, uh, which is like the Employee Assistance Program at my job. Uh, I didn't have a therapist or anything like that. I had never been to therapy. And I was just like, something isn't right, but I can't really define what it is. And I went to a counselor. I went to go see a counselor for a few sessions. And, you know, of course, she starts asking questions. And so session session two, where she began to ask questions around my childhood and things that I had experienced. And, you know, again, I, I think I had repressed. Well, I clearly had repressed those uh, memories, like, so deep. But nonetheless. As she began to ask me questions, um, I revealed to her and, and quite honestly revealed to myself for the very first time as an adult that I had experienced uh, sexual abuse at the hands of relatives when, um, when I was younger. And I remember as she was asking me questions, you know, I, part of me always remembered what happened, but it was just like, okay, I don't think about it, I don't talk about it, I don't dwell on it. But there was also a part of me that felt um, somewhat guilty and somewhat to blame as, like, a participating party. And so when she was asking the questions uh, to the point where she, you know, she, she said the word rape, I got to the point where I was just like, well, no, it really wasn't that because, you know, I participated. And it wasn't until she, she uh, positioned the question where she said, okay, well, what if you – Uh, We're talking to a 13-year-old, you know, mentally handicapped uh, girl, and she told you that this is what happened to her. I was just like, well, that would definitely, you know, be rape because, you know, she didn't know any better. And it was in that moment that she gave me that aha where she was just like, yes, Sabine, you you were seven. Like, you, you didn't have the capacity to make those decisions. And, you know, she broke things down to me, and it was the very first time that I could see or that I was able to see, you know, one, what really took place, and two, for me to face um, all of the guilt and all of the shame and everything else that I had carried about what had happened, um, you know, back when I was seven. Yeah. So a really profound revelation. She helped you see, helped you reframe that and see the fact that because you were so young, it is statutory. You know, statutory rape. So obviously, it's yes. older people who took advantage of your naivete and whatnot. So that was a profound, so revelation. So, so what hit you the emotion once you realized that? What was the emotional impact? Um, I do remember crying uh, there, but I think I think it was less about them and what they did and more about me no longer um, carrying this weight or carrying this belief that I, like, I created this, like, I did this. Um, There was a whole lot, again, I I don't know where it stemmed from, like, specifically, but I just remember at the time it was just like, well, that's not what happened because, 
you know, I participated. I was there. Like, I knew what was going to happen every single time it did. And so I think for me the biggest breakthrough was less about the act itself, but more so around this, this prison that I had been in in my own mind around, um, you know, my my participation, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, you know, that's a really good insight. That it felt like a prison. This is very, very common what people go through is through self-blame, which results in obviously guilt and fear and whatnot. A lot of feelings revolve around that sense that they, they played a role in it when, in fact, you were too young to understand and so you were manipulated by others. It's very important to see the fact it was not your fault, it was not your doing. It was manipulation by other people. And so many folks suffer from these kinds of events in childhood. We'll get into a little bit later. This is a, a worldwide phenomenon which needs to end. I think you're addressing this and putting this forth in your book. It's a really powerful thing to do. It really is. You're sharing this with the world. That takes a lot of courage, like I said earlier. How do you see all that? Yeah. It's, it's amazing because, you know, I never in a million years did I ever think that I would, uh, one, write a book and then actually publish it for the world. Um, this was something that I thought was going to be, like, my own uh, personal and private healing. Um, but even in... in writing the book, you know, I, I just felt led to do so and I felt led to put it out there. You know, there that guilt and that shame, you know, obviously came back up as I was writing the book. It was all these questions on, well, will they believe me? And, you know, I've been silent about this for so long. So, like, you know, will it, will people really truly understand? And the amount of women that I've encountered uh, during, you know, this, this time period from the time that I released the book who have reached out and, you know, in some way, shape or form, whether it was the sexual abuse, whether it was the relationship with the mother, like there were pieces that like people were able to pull um, out from the book and say, yeah, actually I've experienced that too um, from all walks of life, from all, you know, social economic backgrounds. And it's just, it's, to your point, it's, it's a global phenomenon, like, and, this has been happening, but yet, you know, so many of us, depending on, you know, generation and, and household, have been uh, taught to be silent about it. And, and that's exactly. why it continues on generation after generation after generation until it, it becomes something right. that and that's, all kids experience, that's it, unfortunately. Yeah, and that's why it's such a powerful thing. Also, you also talked about your mother, you know, the relatives, like, shutting the whole thing down, not wanting to hear it, in denial. And then you got into the fact later on that they also had gone through various forms of abuse or just familial incest when they're going back intergenerationally. These things are passed on from generation to generation. They're kept in the closet. Ricky's quiet about it, doesn't want to talk about it. He said fear, guilt, anxiety, and so forth. And so mm -hmm. it just perpetuates. That's what has to yeah. end, and it's really important to put this on the table so folks can see this, understand it. We can find better ways of preventing this through education, uplifting people, and so forth. Well, how do you see all that? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, you know, it wasn't until may maybe shortly after the, the sessions with the counselor where, you know, I kind of had that breakthrough. And obviously at some point, like, you know, I had to forgive, right? I had to release forgiveness because that's part of being in the prison, right? You forgive people not because of them but for you so that you're free. Um, but I remember it dawning on me that, you know what, these kids didn't wake up one day and were just like, oh, this is what we're going to do. Like that was, you know, that was somewhat learned behavior, and I think that's what made it easier for me to forgive too because it was coming from a place of compassion um, or the realization that, like, I, and I don't know this for a fact, uh, to be quite honest, but perhaps something was done to them that, Right. you know, allowed them to think that it was okay to do it to me. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, I went back through, you know, stories. You know how, like, you hear things um, from, like, aunts and uncles and, like, things are, like, very hush-hush, and you hear things as, as a kid. And it wasn't actually until I started writing this book that, I don't know, it just all started coming back to me. Um, and I started piecing together things that, you know, either my mother had told me directly or, like, uh, relatives had, had said. And it dawned on me in, in this book, it dawned on me, I remember telling my mother what happened um, back when it happened. And 
Um, I, I believe she had confronted uh, the boys. They denied it. And, like, literally, it was almost like I was put on punishment, and I was made to feel guilty and ashamed all over again. And right. I remember thinking, I like, Mm-hmm. And you got punished. It came out and you were punished because they denied the whole thing. They put it back on you. So the victim yeah. gets blamed by the family, which also happens in other kinds of cases where the victim is blamed by the system, by the courts, by interrogations, and so forth. And it happens with adults and whatnot. There's adult, I used to work in prison. They have adult offenders and you know, child victims and whatnot. And the poor child goes through horrifying experiences being interrogated, put on the stand, questions and so forth, humiliated, embarrassed in public. So the results are just unbelievable. Yeah, so go ahead. Please yeah. Go. Yeah, and so it wasn't until, again, probably through processing, it, it dawned on me that part of the reason why she wasn't able to deal with it um, or couldn't deal with it or didn't deal with it was because she didn't deal with her own, right? Like this was, she dealt with it in the manner that, was dealt with it with her, which where it was, you know, you're not going to talk about it. We're not going to do anything about it. Like, this is not, you know, this is, it happened. And so deal with it. Um, so, again, it, it made me feel a lot more obvious compassion for her um, and understanding, okay, it's, mm, <laughs> I, I teeter between the, it's not that she, couldn't protect me. I, I do think that there is there's part of her that just didn't know how. Right. She didn't know how, wasn't really equipped to, I mean, she's suppressing that, hiding it from the world, didn't want to talk about it. Like you said, there's also incest in the family going back, right, many generations. People also don't want to talk about that some of the secrets right. kept hidden away from the world, often for lifetime after lifetime. It really is a tragedy. You also, in your book, you made some great parallels the story of Joseph in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that, the parallels you made there? Yeah. So Joseph uh, found in, in Genesis, I believe, starting uh, after 41. Uh, but Joseph is, you know, someone who has been identified by God as, like, the, a, a prince, um, except that's not the life that he's living. And so he goes through this. Uh, he's very uh, loved by his father. And that made his siblings jealous. They pretty much treated him like crap to the point where they sold him for slave to, um, into slavery. Uh, he ended up in prison. Like, it was just trial after trial after trial in spite of the fact that he, you know, was called to be this great person. Right. So now it's Joseph's parallel a, 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 Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, we're going to take a break here in a second. So I want to come back to that story after the break. It's really a powerful story and a great metaphor for what you experienced and the forgiveness you, that you had to go through. So, folks, we're here today, Dr. Rhonda Rempel and Mind Shock, Sabine Gideon, and her fascinating book called Transformed. Take a moment here for work from our sponsors. Be right back. Talk to you in a minute. ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity, things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything, and once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. ASMC, the premier German company that supplies everything for adventure, from outdoor clothes to outdoor gear, even backpacks. Lots of quality and lots of specials. To start your adventure, go to HealthyLife.net's advertiser page and click on ASMC. Paradise Found 2015 is a film that sparks of intrigue about the discovery of quantum field psychology. Throw in a sexy spy story, a conflict between father and son against the backdrop of NASA, and interspersed with World War II flashback combat scenes, and you'll be surprised to discover the foundation of a whole new theory of mind. Rent or buy Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com. 
and prepare for the explosive conclusion. That's Paradise Laws 2015 at Amazon.com. Reach your health and fitness goals. Whether you want to lose weight, learn to dance, build muscle, or just live healthy, Beachbody gives you unlimited access to the nation's most popular fitness and weight loss solutions. Visit our advertiser page and click on Beachbody now. A complete mind development course, The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, helps you develop your concentration, memory, imagination, and more, all to help you program your mind towards success. But it's not a boring read. You are taken on a journey with a young man who is trying to start his own business and immerses himself into a journey of self-discovery. A powerful book that you can read again and again. Get The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple at Amazon.com. The Inner Manager at Amazon.com. Remember, positive impacts. www.healthylife.net. Welcome back. Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Mind Shock. Do we have Sabine Gideon in her fascinating book, Transform? Sabine, how are you doing? I'm good, Dr. Ron. Okay, great. I want to pick things back up with the story about Joseph in the Bible, which you said was a great metaphor for what you experienced. Let's please, please go on with that story. I think it's really a fascinating story itself, of course, and a metaphor of what you experienced. So please go on. Yeah. And so, you know, Joseph was pretty much hated uh, by his siblings, um, not necessarily by his father. But I think the the biggest piece or the thing that I related to the most is, you know, growing up, I was the youngest in the household, and I always felt um, like the black sheep <laughs> for so many different reasons, even though I, I really wasn't. Um, but in terms of, you know, the rejection from mother and other family members, and so I grew, I really grew up with that belief of, like, I'm not loved. Um, I grew up with, you know, the, the siblings being extremely um, mean and abusive. Um, and so there were, there were a lot of times, I remember when I first heard about Joseph, I was just like, oh, my gosh, that's me. And it wasn't really because of, I mean, part of it was obviously because of the way that the family treated him, but it was more so that in spite of how they treated him, in spite of, you know, the trials and the tribulations that, like, he had to endure, he always came out on top. There was always a period or a season or a time in which he, you know, was out on top. And so for me that gave me hope, uh, going back to what I shared about that night, is just like, I just need hope to know that all of this pain and all of the suffering is worth something. And so Joseph gets to a point where he is put in prison. Uh, He, you know, uh, deciphers the dreams of the the pharaoh uh, of Egypt uh, at one point, and almost overnight he is brought into the castle. He is uh, made second in charge. And he is, you know, literally the person that is keeping uh, the entire land from going into famine. Uh, but what's more important is... Uh, yeah. Oh, it was really fascinating there, pardon me, is that it begins with uh, the metaphor that he has a coat of many colors. Mm-hmm. He interpreted yeah. means there was an energy field around him that he was tied into a much higher state of consciousness. He said, you know, he's born to be a prince, right? He had a yes. many colors, an energy field about him that he's divinely blessed. He's already in tune with much higher levels of consciousness. And his brothers are profoundly jealous of which represents humanity, but also the ego. The human ego is threatened by somebody who is, does have a higher focus. And they, of course, tried to sabotage and destroy him. So they buried him in a pit to try to cover him up. He got out from mm-hmm. that. Eventually, then, uh, they threw him in prison. He got thrown in prison for something he didn't do, right? And then yes. because of his abilities, and the baker is, I guess, the one who came forth and told us about his prophetic ability, and he told the pharaoh, and, of course, he was recognized for his powers, and he was brought out, and then saved all of Egypt. And his brothers came later because of the famine, didn't recognize him at first, but he was totally forgiving. They expected to be destroyed, which in those days, that would have been the normal reactions, treat somebody with vengeance and so forth. That was the mentality of the laws of mm-hmm. those days. It was an act of vengeance and so forth, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. 
Instead, he forgave them completely, embraced them, and saved them as well. That's mm-hmm. really a powerful story, isn't it? And, and yeah, it is. your experience. Yeah. Yes, please, please. And then the biggest thing with that story for me was, uh, and I shared in the book too, that you know, for the longest time I was so focused on the uh, retribution, right, on the getting back to them so that, like, one day, right, they'll need me, they'll see me until, you know, you get to that later part, like you just mentioned, where in their time of desperation where they they needed him and they were also fearful of him, that he showed compassion, that he showed love, that he, you know, he supported them in spite of what they had done for him. Um, that was that was a part of my transformation um, as well, or when, you know me realizing that I had transformed, that I was no longer seeking revenge, but I was at the place where like not only was I forgiving, but I had compassion um, and and willing to extend grace towards my family in spite of. Exactly. So you went through a metamorphosis, and you also drew parallels to the butterfly. Doing a metamorphosis where you transform from one state to another which can be a very difficult transformation to make. And you mentioned before the idea of development. Please tell us more about that development that you went through. I know that was tough too, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it never stops. Um, right. Brutal. So, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it can be brutal. I was actually just talking sure. to someone um, last week, and, you know, they they we were talking about the whole metaphor with the butterfly. And, you know, most people are go from, oh, okay, caterpillar, gets the wings, is this beautiful creature, and really taking that moment to stop and think about the actual process of when that uh, caterpillar is complete mush, um, when all of the, the resemblance of its identity has been completely destroyed. Um, and that, for me, you know, in all of these processes, in all of these, this journey that I've been on, there, there is always a cycle in which there is a, a death, if you will, whether it's me letting go of old beliefs or me letting go of, um, you know, any, any unforgiveness that I had towards anyone, uh, me changing cities, me changing towns, like whatever the transformation is, like there's always this process of death or letting go of the old and then completely being in a state where I don't know what's ahead of me, but I know I can't go back to whatever it is that I just left. And so the the butterfly or the caterpillar turning into the butterfly is, I think for me, a great example, of nature's example of what, you know, my life has been because it's, it's just been a constant cycle. Ever since I said yes to God or, you know, came into that knowing of God, it's been this constant cycle of me um, willingly letting go of all of the things from my past or all of the things that I've picked up along the way to transform into whatever next version of myself that I need to be for that season. Yeah, I think it's a really, really powerful insight is that you don't know what's coming next. You don't know what you're going to be evolving into, but you know you can't go back to where you were. So you leave that caliper state and an emotion between to leave all stuff behind you because you know you mm-hmm. have to. You have to keep evolving, keep developing, and as you mentioned, it's a lifelong process. Because we never yep. stop developing. A lot of research, of course, backs that up. Done over the years with uh, longitudinal studies of people's lives, that the most successful people, the most happy people, keep evolving, keep growing, keep changing, keep learning new lessons and, and gain thereby new insights and new skills and abilities. So tell us more right. how you do that, please. Yeah, I mean, a big part of what I do right now, like, in terms of even just, like, helping leaders or helping people in their careers, it's like the the transformation process isn't isn't necessarily always, like, this big thing, right? The catalyst doesn't have to be uh, traumatic or anything like that, but I do think that, you know, through periods of our lives, we have seasons in which we have the opportunity to just change, even if it's just a little to transform and become new versions of ourselves. But I often find that, you know, people who stop short of that, they are stopped short because of fear, right? Fear of letting go of whatever it is that they have to let go of, fear of the unknown. And so it does take courage to transform and to change, uh, you know, into whatever next person you're supposed to be. Yeah, that's, that's really an interesting uh, thought and idea is that uh, fear and anxiety get in the way 
and often opportunities come to us which represent a chance to change, to transform to a constantly evolving state. If we don't recognize the opportunity as such, we might say no to it and then avoid it to stay stuck where we are and thereby avoid or at least retard our own development and progress. So folks, we're here today, right. Dr. Ron Dabrimple and Mind Shock, Sabine Gideon in a fascinating book called Transformed. We'll be back in a few moments to work from our sponsors. Hang in there. Here's a fun, stimulating program that can teach you how to develop your own powers of creation. It uses a three-part mind, stimulating approach to get you to develop your own creative thinking. It will help you create a powerful self-image and helps you see how you can take creative action. You'll develop your thinking power and your skills, and you can do this in eight days. Get Dr. Ron Dalrymple's book, Eight Days to Creative Power, on Amazon.com. Overcome your problems with the step-by-step guide. So get Eight Days to Creative Power on Amazon.com. Get high-quality glasses, sunglasses, and prescription lenses at eyeglasses.com. Choose from over 250,000 items and 400 brands. Already have frames? Get replacement lenses. It's easy. Go to our advertiser page and click eyeglasses.com. A complete mind development course, The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, helps you develop your concentration, memory, imagination, and more, all to help you program your mind towards success. But it's not a boring read. You are taken on a journey with a young man who is trying to start his own business and immerses himself into a journey of self-discovery, a powerful book that you can read again and again. Get The Inner Manager by Dr. Ron Dalrymple at Amazon.com. The Inner Manager at Amazon.com. Reach your health and fitness goals. Whether you want to lose weight, learn to dance, build muscle, or just live healthy, Beachbody gives you unlimited access to the nation's most popular fitness and weight loss solutions. Visit our advertiser page and click on Beachbody now. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity, things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything. And once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. HealthyLife.net, the positive radio network. Folks, welcome back. Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Mind Shock. Today we have Sabine Gideon in her fascinating book, Transform. Sabine, how are you doing? I am well, Dr. Ron. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's our pleasure to have you and learn about your fascinating journey. Now, we mentioned earlier about the idea that such abuse is intergenerational and also global. So just, I know it's impossible to estimate, but... How widespread do you think these kinds of experiences are? I mean, what percentage of people go through this type of thing in childhood? Do we have any idea? I mean, I think it's, it's what you said. It's, it's widespread. Uh, I, you know, when I think back to uh, when I was writing this book in, in 2019, to be quite honest, if, if you recall, in 2018 is where the Me Too movement, um, you know, really started or, or really started to take off. And I remember even in that moment, I wasn't, I clearly wasn't ready to share my story there yet, but it was, it was as if like every time a woman came forward or every time there was a march and you saw thousands of women, um, you know, standing up and saying me too, or you saw the hashtag me too on social media, every single time I saw that, it just, one, it broke my heart, but two, it, it, sold the seeds, I believe, of courage that I needed to get to the place where I could share my story. Because um, I do believe that there's, there's, this, um, there's this thing that happens. I don't even know how to describe it, but you start to believe this lie that you're alone in addition to the guilt, in addition to the shame, in addition to everything else. But there's this seed that's sown that, like, only you have gone through this. Only you are experiencing this. 
And so to see so many other women stand up and, you know, find their voice and say, hey, me too, this has happened to me too, it gave me and it's given a lot of women the courage to, to not stay silent and not believe that lie that it's their fault or they're the only ones who have, ex who have experienced this. Right, yeah, it really is, I think, a massive global worldwide phenomena. It also involves both genders. Both genders are abused. More women, I think, more mm -hmm. females than males. But males are also sexually abused or physically abused or verbally, emotionally abused by various offenders. And what we need to do is understand that the very concept of abusing another human being is something which has to be off limits. People have to understand what the consequences are of harming children in this way. It has profound consequences, not just for that person, but their family, their community, and really the entire world. So the abuse is based upon you know, really some twisted thinking and feeling. The person themselves probably abused. The offenders abuse themselves, like I mentioned before. But also just a lot of wrong concepts. We need to have folks step up to a higher level of thinking, start to wake up and understand what the profound consequences are of this mistreatment of other human beings. How do you see that? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny as you were talking, uh, the, uh, the statement, you know, hurt people hurt people is uh, what came to mind, and that is so true. Yeah. Uh, you know, anyone who would uh, do physical harm or any type of harm to anyone else, trust and believe, like, again, that's learned, but that's because they're hurting. And so, you know, I do believe that we, we project and we, you know, manifest really what's inside of us. Um, so, I mean, that could lead into a larger conversation just about humanity <laughs> and as a whole. Um, that we have gotten to this point where, you know, we are so broken and so hurt that this is, this is how we, this is how we treat each other. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It goes back to, like, the tribal thinking we've often mentioned on the show before that folks that think, the fact that people are kind of stuck in a tribal mentality of us versus them and also keeping things hidden, thinking they can keep things hidden within, hidden within the family or the community and whatnot, but, in a world now where things are becoming more and more obvious, they get put on the Internet or whatnot, books are written, you know, shows are made, TV, movies, whatever, exposing these concepts so that more folks are waking up, realizing that the abuse has to end worldwide. It's a worldwide phenomenon. It's even been exploited by various commercial interests in a really sick way, which is really hard to believe. But the, the whole mentality of that type of thinking has to end. We have to grow beyond the very paradigm of abusing other human beings. I'm sure you agree yeah. with that. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, if you just look at generations, right, so my parents are, are baby boomers and, you know, the huge, I mean, I guess millennials just surpass baby boomers, but if you look generationally, like, that's just how they operated. Like, they, you know, they didn't talk about stuff like this. They didn't talk about feelings. Like, there's just so much that didn't happen in previous generations, and I think every generation that has come after that you know, they challenge that. They challenge that belief that, you know, you can't, be, you can't be vocal. They challenge the belief that everything has to be, uh, you know, stuffed or internalized um, all the pain. Like, if you look at, you know, most people will tell you, like, they're, oh, I don't know about most people, but a lot of the people, I guess, that I, I know and I've grown up with, you know, people stayed in abusive relationships or in relationships that were, um that were not ideal because of financial means or, you know, other different situations. And so as we've evolved as a society, you know, more women are starting their own business, more women have uh, their own financial means, so they're less likely to stay in environment. So I, I do think that it's just something that uh, over time it'll evolve where things like that are no longer acceptable and it's no longer okay to you know, tell people to grin and bear it or to be silent about it. Um, but I do think that it's right. just, it's, it's a generational thing. And we see that in so many different ways and so many different things have impacted why it's been okay through the generations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no question it does occur in relationships, as you mentioned, where people get locked into like a pathological type interconnection, where perhaps uh, he's narcissistic and she's codependent. But when he's narcissistic, he's also hiding his own fears and anxieties, and she's codependent, but it can be narcissistic and clinging to him for survival, thinking she has to. So the abuse mm -hmm. builds up over time. He'll, when he abuses her, he comes back on his hands and knees, begging her forgiveness. She takes him back. He swears to never do it again. And the tensions build up again because it's really an unbalanced relationship energy-wise. So it's going to happen again. 
It happens again and again and again until they break that pattern, break that cycle. I've seen patients over the years, for example, you know, some, some folks, some ladies have been married to the same guy in four or five different forms. You know, it's the same kind of personality you keep marrying, not realizing they're doing it, thinking this time it's going to be different. In fact, they keep perpetuating yeah. that same cycle of abuse until they yeah. finally wake up and decide to break it. So it it's a yeah. tough thing. You often need help. You need to be in therapy, be in support groups and so forth to realize what's going on, to break those pathological cycles. Right. And, you know, sometimes you can fall into it without realizing it. And I and I say that to use myself. Like, I, you know, my father, yes, I grew up with my father in the household, but, like, he was a, a habitual cheater, right? And I remember, like, telling myself as a kid and even a teenager, like, I'll never be like her. Like, I'll never um, accept a guy who treats me like this. Like, I'll never stay with that person. And lo and behold, <laughs> believe it or not, that's exactly who I attracted. That's exactly who, you know, I brought into my life because I had been taught that abuse was love. So while I was looking at my mother from a judgmental place of like, oh, I'll never do this, um, I, subconsciously I was still attracting the type of guys that would treat me like that because I had the belief that, hey, abuse is love or, you know, you have to you have to earn or you have to prove your worth in order for someone to love you. Um, so even when it's not, you know, intentional of like, hey, this is the path that I'm going down, depending on some of the, the I guess, underlying messages that you've grown up with, you can still find yourself in that place repeating that cycle, or at least I did. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It does repeat itself over and over until a person steps back and can see that's an outside observer and understand what they're doing, how it keeps repeating itself. That insight, that, that jump to a higher level of realization, kind of like a quantum jump we often talk about, jumping from one state of consciousness to a more informed one, we realize the mistakes you've been making, and you make up your mind like you did. When you first had that, that great transformation, that great supernatural experience, I've got to change, I've got to transform my life, I can't keep doing this. I've got to break out of this. And over the years, you kept going through more developments. And this also parallels the hero's journey in the mythic structure of storytelling. When I first went out to Hollywood years ago, I learned about story structure and whatnot. Really fascinating that we all go through this in a growth process. We encounter many opponents in that growth. The biggest opponent we face is ourselves and overcoming ourselves, our own fixations, our own delusional thoughts. Folks, today we're here today with Sabine Gideon and her fascinating book, Transformed. Sabine, please tell our audience where they can find your book and find more about you. Yes, so the book is on Amazon. Uh, you can search Transform, The Journey to Becoming, or you can search Sabine Gideon. Uh, you could also grab a copy through my website at www.sabinegideon.com. That's great. Well, well, thank you very much. It's been great having you here today as a guest. Wish you all the luck. You know, the transformation is ongoing for all of us. So best of luck in, in that and for, for us all, right, as we keep growing and expanding. Go for your book. And you also do seminars as well? And, uh, I do. I, I'm actually uh, launching today, as of today, um, a workshop that's going to take place uh, the week of September 20th through the 24th. And it's called the Level Up Leadership Workshop. And so it's not for traditional leadership, uh, you know, business acumen and, and how to show up, but more so, you know, as we've been talking about transformation, I do believe that leadership is an innate, you know, seed or innate gift that we all have. And so the way that I approach leadership is, you know, really tapping that skill or tapping into that skill um, from the inside out. And so this workshop is really designed to help those who, you know, are leading or feel, you know, that they're being called to leadership and really want to um, to up-level their skills but come from a place of true authenticity. Um, and true innate ability. So the workshop is designed to, to help you tap into that. So, and you can find more details on my website for that at sabinegideon.com forward slash level up. So that's L-E-V-E-L-U-P. Okay, great. Well, Sabine, thank you very much for being here. We appreciate it. And best of luck with your book and your workshops. All right? Thank you so Take much, care. Dr. Ron. Thank you. Take care and God bless.
Paradise Found, 2015, is a film that sparks of intrigue about the discovery of quantum field psychology. Throw in a sexy spy story, a conflict between father and son against the backdrop of NASA, and interspersed with World War II flashback combat scenes, and you'll be surprised to discover the foundation of a whole new theory of mind. Rent or buy Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com and prepare for the explosive conclusion. That's Paradise Lost 2015 at Amazon.com. If you want USA and worldwide car rentals, choose rentacar.com. Free cancellations on most bookings, no hidden charges. They are trusted by over 4 million customers. Visit our advertiser page and click on the Rent-A-Car banner. Do you ever wonder how the mind works? The Endless Question, a film by Dr. Ron Dalrymple, shows you a new theory of mind, one that bridges the road between spirituality and science while revealing to you the laws of creativity things that can open up your mind to limitless possibilities. It is literally a theory that changes everything, and once you know it, you can apply it to your own life. View The Endless Question for free on Amazon Prime. The Endless Question on Amazon Prime. This is Jack Maher from the band Feed the Kitty. It's important to support the artists you love, and you can do that and get something authentic for yourself. Rock.com has the most coveted, licensed merchandise of music, culture, and entertainment. So go to the advertiser page and click on Rock.com now. Quantum Field Psychology 2nd Edition is an astounding book on the new theory of mind. It is the first unified field theory that incorporates the influence of the mind and emotion on physical reality, the universe, and even other minds. It actually integrates all modern psychology with quantum physics, mathematics, Western, and Eastern spiritual beliefs. It's the true bridge between science and spirituality. Get your copy of Quantum Field Psychology, second edition, by Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Amazon.com. Radio your way. HealthyLife.net. Welcome back. Dr. Ron Dalrymple on Mind Shock. We said Sabine Gideon here, talking about her book, Transformed. Really interesting read about what she went through in her history of sexual abuse in childhood, as well as verbally emotional abuse, the manipulations of mind games that were played upon her by her family and other people to manipulate her as a child into these types of acts, and also the mind games involved in covering the whole thing up, and then the unintentional distortions and mentally emotional distortions she enacted upon herself to create kind of a facade around herself to hide or suppress what really happened and see it differently by actually blaming herself. We'll get into a little bit later and also in future shows about the process of mind games. Subsequently, a new book we have out called Mind Games People Play. But in any case, in terms of the sexual abuse that goes on worldwide, and let's include their own sort of verbal and emotional abuse, physical abuse, perfectly against girls and boys and also against adults, is a global phenomena throughout the world involving, we don't know how many millions of people, but it is vast. So the question is, where do we go from here to end these worldwide evils? And we can also include in that not just the sexual abuse that occurs in families and so forth, but the, the fact that abductions occur worldwide. The abduction phenomenon is actually discussing it happens worldwide as a massive business operation, believe it or not. That the abuse and abduction of children is a worldwide global phenomenon that's been going on for at least hundreds of years and perhaps thousands of years. We don't really know. That the very powerful businesses which are involved in all sorts of crooked things, which are certainly involved in this as well, it is a big business. And this needs to end. It has to end through worldwide exposure. People realize this is a massive phenomenon which needs to be investigated by worldwide law enforcement, by global enforcement to put an end to it to deal with these perpetrators and put them where they belong, which means locked up and put away where they cannot harm others and they have to go through this educational process. We need to wake the world up to the fact that abusing other people has massive, massive karmic consequences to the individual. Now, people doing this type of thing, those more of a criminal mindset, I'm sure don't really care about the karma. They don't believe it. They don't believe it will come back on them. Many folks believe that whatever you do is fine as long as you get away with it. They have more of a criminal mindset. 
getting away from familiar types of abuse. That happens in the criminal world. There are those who think that if you get by, it's okay. You're only in trouble if you get caught. And you try to make a way out of it. We need a much more global awareness about abuse in general and understand more about the mind games that people play. Mind games are a form of manipulation where one person can deceive and manipulate somebody else and do things that they would not ordinarily want to do. So mind games occur, of course, in the world of business. We're all familiar with in the world of real estate or buying cars and so forth. If you go in and talk to a salesperson, they're going to feed you all kinds of spin because they want that commission far more than being concerned about the ethics of the situation. Now, some are more ethical. I'm not saying they aren't. Certainly there are some who are, hopefully more honest about it. There are those who really play it, who look you right in the eye, as you all know, and will say anything to try to get that sale. Virtually everybody, I'm sure, has been taken advantage of or manipulated at some point or other in life where you were buying or selling something or whatever and somebody was deceitful. And we've all been involved in relationships where the same type of thing has occurred, where somebody will say one thing and then do something else or mean something else. I've seen folks involved in relationships, in fact. I've been a therapist for over 40 years, and sometimes people be manipulated. I mean, one guy had been in a situation like that for over 30 years and had been manipulated and played by his spouse and didn't have a clue about it until his brother-in-law told him. He finally started to wake up and realize what was being done, so many games were being played. So someone who's very good at this can really pull the wool over your eyes and deceive you for who knows how long, maybe an entire lifetime. So mind games are played quite often. People are often deceitful because they don't want to expose the true feelings and true thoughts underneath. They present a facade to the outside world. This, of course, is defensive in nature. It's creation of the ego. And to some extent, of course, people have to present some kind of facade different situations because you can't really trust necessarily the people you're dealing with. So, for example, when the salesperson says, well, how much do you have to spend on this car? You say, well, you know, as much as it takes, but as little as possible. That can tell them how much you have because then they'll be playing or trying to, to grab that full amount or buying a house, the same thing happens. You can't always be fully disclosing in a situation because the other person can then play that against you. So we have to use judgment or whatnot, understand the situation we also, I think, need to raise up in the world of much higher level of honesty because being deceitful and manipulative always comes with karmic payback to the person who plays those kinds of games. So just like in the story of Joseph you mentioned, Joseph was a gifted, no doubt blessed, spiritual type person in early childhood, which was recognized by his father who loved him greatly. So it symbolizes the higher father, but his brothers, the ego, try to suppress this and destroy him and had him first thrown into a pit Eventually, he was arrested and whatnot, thrown into prison for many years, until his great gifts of prophecy revealed that he was actually a much higher being, and then the Pharaoh brought him up. That's all symbolic of the fact that all of us have gifts within, which are often suppressed by the world, that the ego mind develops to deal with the external world. And in many cases, that ego which develops and gets us into trouble of other types, because the ego can present all kinds of lies, facades, and illusions upon illusions. So in today's world, much is made about those who are great successes and whatnot, often based upon their power to create illusions to deceive others. In fact, entire books are written about the idea that life is war, your entire existence is war, and we're constantly at war with other people. That's, you could say it's true in some respects. I'd say, though, it's also not true in many respects because we're actually... A lot of folks very much like the butterfly she talked about or the pupae in more caterpillar state, caterpillar state trying to wake up. There were a level of entity trying to awaken to a higher level of consciousness. We're going through all these trips to the ego with other people where many folks are driven by delusions or false beliefs, an entire constellation of false beliefs, which then lead them astray. It can cause us great damage if we buy into it. So you recognize other people are toxic. There's certain types of toxicity, again, we'll talk about in the Mind Games book. There's a lot to that. When you see other people are toxic, it's best to kind of stand back, not necessarily call them out on that because you get a lot of uh, reaction if you do, but understand that you don't want to get involved too far. They're playing Mind Games, which can pull you in. So our new book is up on our website, and they're trying to finish up all the mechanics of it. It's called Taming the Menagerie. 
mind games people play. That's on our website, www.drondalrymple2.com. That's rondalrymple2, the number 2.com. Our other books are Eight Days of Creative Power, The Inner Manager, I Love You, God, and Quantum Field Psychology. Our film, of course, The Endless Question, is on Amazon Prime for free if you have Amazon. And the purpose of all these books and films we've created is to help folks understand there is a higher level of consciousness. There's a higher state within all of us. Our job in life, our mission is to wake up to that and to help other people along the process and do the same thing, to improve their lives, to help them, to help transform the world. Maybe it sounds like idealism, and no doubt it is, but it's also very pragmatic because if we don't, the consequences to the world can be catastrophic. So we all need to wake up to treat each other with kindness, respect, love, and charity, no abuse, end the abuse, understand the mind needs being placed. We can deal with those in a better way, folks. And it's, it's a long journey, but more than we're doing. So, folks, we love you all. Please come back next week. Looking forward to talking to you again about more ideas, more concepts. Before we tell you a lot more, too, about our new book, Mind Games People Play. There's a lot of stuff there, which is quite shocking. So, Dr. Ron Darrell signing off from Mind Shock. See you next time.